Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's open our Bibles to the New Testament book of Acts. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 10 is our text this morning. The title of the message is Serving the Lost. Now this summer, we've been concentrating on two aspects of the Christian life. One of worship, and uh, we studied through the Psalms of Ascent through the first part of uh, the summer. And then here of late, we've been studying about serving others. This morning, I want to draw our attention to what the Bible has to say about serving the lost those who are outside of a saving relationship with Jesus. And some of us in this room perhaps have been Christians so long we've almost forgotten what it's like to be lost, but we need to be reminded because there was a time in where each and every one of us was outside of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. But now as born again believers, we have been given a commission and we have a great privilege of taking the gospel to other people. And so this morning, the title of the message, Serving the Lost Through Evangelism. Let's read our text, Acts 16. 1 through 10, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. May the Lord add his blessing, the reading and hearing of his word. Now you might recognize these verses as the beginning of the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. Now this time he was accompanied by a preacher named Silas. They were returning to check on the progress of believers that were converted on the first missionary journey, that time with a man named Barnabas. And one of the places they returned to was Lystra, where we are introduced to a young man by the name of Timothy. Timothy is described in the scripture as a disciple and the son of a Jewish woman who also was a disciple. And so the very first thing I think it tells us about evangelism in this passage is that evangelism begins at home. Timothy would go on to become an important leader in the first century church. He was the pastor in the city of Ephesus. He, of course, was personally mentored by the Apostle Paul and eventually became Paul's most trusted confidant, his right-hand man, if you will. Paul calls him his true child in the faith. But how was Timothy converted? We're not left to wonder. There are two books in the New Testament that bear the name of Timothy. They were written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we read these words. Paul speaking to Timothy said, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. Paul says to Timothy, I believe that you are genuinely born again. 
And he said that faith within you was first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm sure that is in you as well. Timothy, so to speak, was a third generation Christian. His grandmother was a Christian and his mother was a Christian. And no doubt, as they rocked him on their knees, they told him about the gospel and he too became a Christian. And so Christian parents, there's a word for you today and that is the most important mission field in the world is in your home. I sometimes hear people talk about the conversion of children in our churches as if they are less important than the conversions that happen on the mission field in Africa or, or Asia. Uh, that is absolutely an, an utter nonsense. Scripture says that there's joy in heaven over every lost soul that comes to faith and that includes our, our children. In fact, when our pastors come to our prayer meetings on Monday morning, we often pray for the lost, but we specifically begin by praying for our lost children represented around that table and uh, that is our top priority and I, I pray that it is for your children as well. Pray and talk with your children often about the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Obviously you want them to, to spend eternity in heaven, but who knows the Lord might just have the next Timothy already living under your roof. And so evangelism begins at home, but quickly we find that evangelism also often requires discomfort. Again, back up to verse one, he says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but her father was a Greek. You know, in the Bible really divides the world into two categories. In that day, Jewish people and, and Gentiles or, or Greeks they're called. And he was well spoken of, that is Timothy of the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And so Paul apparently met Timothy and he heard a good report of him and he thought this would be a fine young man to take with me on my missionary journey. You might remember that in his first missionary journey he also took a young man by the name of John Mark. And it didn't work out so well. He had been recommended by Barnabas and uh, John Mark didn't make it very far where he turned back home. And when the first missionary journey was over, they came back to Antioch and when the Lord sent them out on the second journey, Barnabas says, let's take John Mark again. And Paul said, no indeed. And it caused such a disagreement that those two men parted company for a time. Now thankfully they reconciled, the scripture says, and the Lord used all three of those men, Paul, Barnabas, and Mark. But there was a time where there was a separation there. But Paul seemed to always be keen about taking the gospel to the next generation. So when he saw Timothy, he said, this would be a good person to go with me. Verse three, Paul wanted this man to go with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now that seems very strange that Paul would have Timothy circumcised. His mother was Jewish, but uh, the father was Gentile and had led apparently the family to, to live a, a Gentile lifestyle. He had not seen to it that Timothy was circumcised as was the custom of the Jews. And Paul knew that that could be a hindrance where they were going. Paul didn't want there to be any human hindrance to taking the gospel. He knew that the gospel was offensive. When you go up to strangers and you tell them they're a sinner bound for hell, some people are bound to be offended. But we dare not offend them by misappropriation of culture. And so Paul says, I'm going to try to remove any hindrance or obstacle that would be in the way. And so he says, Timothy, you need to be circumcised. The amazing part is Timothy went along with it. And he said, I'll do that. And that tells us a lot about Timothy, that he submitted for the sake of, of the gospel. Now, this is strange, I said, because we know the Apostle Paul battled legalists all of his missionary career. 
Just a couple of chapters earlier in Acts, we were introduced to a group called the Judaizers who were teaching a false gospel that for a Gentile to be truly saved, first he had to become Jewish. He had to be ceremonially circumcised. And Paul spoke against that and says, Jesus didn't give us such an instruction. He says, we believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And there was such a dispute in the church that they called a committee. And they went to Jerusalem. It's called the Council of Jerusalem. And, and they talked and debated and, and prayed. And after it was all over, the group agreed with Paul that they shouldn't add any burden of the law to the simple gospel of salvation by grace through faith. So how in the world is Paul now causing Timothy to be circumcised when he spoke out against having people circumcised? Well, it was because of the purpose of the circumcision. The Judaizers were saying you couldn't be saved unless you were circumcised. They were adding to the gospel. Paul was not saying in the least that Timothy wasn't a Christian. He's just saying that if not being circumcised would be a hindrance to Timothy sharing the gospel with others, he would rather him go through that discomfort. And friends, we are unlikely to be asked to do something as drastic as circumcision for the sake of the gospel. But for anyone to take the gospel to a lost and dying world is going to take us getting out of our comfort zone. We talked about sharing the gospel with our children. What about our parents? What about our siblings? Some of the most uncomfortable conversations a Christian can have are with those who are closest to them, those who grew up in the same house as them because they know you, don't they? And they know you're far from perfect and you're afraid maybe they'll bring up my past against me. But here's the wonderful thing about the past of a Christian. The Lord Jesus has covered that, hasn't he? And we're not saying that we are not sinners. We're saying we are sinners saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. And so it may be uncomfortable to talk to your family and, and friends, but, but so be it. Jesus never promised a life of comfort. It may be uncomfortable in, in your own neighborhood and your own schools to share with those you know, don't share your worldview and certainly not your politics. I found that out very quickly this week as Brother Lawrence and I, I had a quick tour of Portland, Oregon in the inner city there. And look, I'm not even cool in Fort Worth, Texas. <laughs> but I am far from cool in Portland, Oregon. That's the coolest, hippest place on earth. And, and to say the politics uh, leans left is an understatement of the year. And so when they saw us coming, I'm sure we stuck out pretty well. But you know what? The gospel is the same wherever you go. People have the same basic needs. And you, you pray about Portland, Oregon, because we're convinced the Lord wants us to plant a church there in the next year because they need the gospel there just as we need it here. But it's gonna take some people becoming uncomfortable. And sometimes it's uncomfortable to, to give up of your time, your vacation days so that children can have a teacher in Bible school or students can have chaperones to youth camp. And I'm so proud of so many of you who did that very thing. I haven't said it enough, but, but our youth and children's leaders have done a marvelous job leading us here this summer, haven't they? We had, I think, the greatest Bible school we've ever had and a great uh, youth camp as well, and many came to faith. But the truth is that we don't always see the immediate fruit of those kind of labors. Sometimes it's years later. Two weeks ago, I, I had a, the privilege of conducting a funeral service here in this building, and when the service was over, I was walking down the hall, and a dear lady who I did not know approached me from behind and said, Pastor, I have to tell you something. She said, I just have to tell you, I love First Baptist Church of Keller. I said, well, I do too. And she said, let me tell you why. She says, we don't go to church here, but 10 years ago when my daughter, who is now 18, was eight years old, we took her to Bible school here. 
And on Friday, she came home and says, Mommy, I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. And I want you to as well. And she said the next Sunday, she and her daughter were baptized together in their church. And then sometime later, her husband, that girl's father, was also baptized. And all three of them are walking with the Lord today. Now, the Lord gets the glory for that. But the means he used is some of you who taught her that week. And we thank the Lord for that great privilege. Causes us, though, to get out of our comfort zone. Third thing that evangelism requires, though, is, is sound doctrine. It always requires sound doctrine. Look at verse 4. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. Now, what decrees? Well, it was the findings of the Council of Jerusalem. Remember, they said, uh, the question they were wrestling over at the Council of Jerusalem is, what is the true gospel? Is it faith plus circumcision or faith plus keeping the Jewish observances and festivals? Or is it faith alone? Is it grace alone and Christ alone? And, and of course, they came out and says, the simple gospel. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what they held to at Jerusalem. That's what we hold here today, isn't it? That is the true gospel. Now, that will never change. We dare not add to it or take from it in an effort to make our message more relevant to a modern world. The gospel is relevant in every epoch of history, in every city on planet earth. In fact, the Bible calls the gospel the power of God to salvation. That's how relevant it is. But you have to know it. You have to live it. You have to believe it. You have to be able to articulate it if you are going to share your faith and lead another person to salvation. And there are certain things that must be non-negotiable. There are certain doctrines that we must be willing to part company over, to fight over, if you will. Jude, the brother of the Lord Jesus, in his little one-chapter epistle in the New Testament, says it this way. He says, brothers, earnestly contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Now, the faith is the core doctrines of Christianity. That Jesus lived and Jesus died and Jesus rose again. That Jesus is God in the flesh, born of a virgin. These are the core doctrines that we cannot give any ground upon. And so what I'm saying is this. Sound doctrine is not the enemy of evangelism. From time to time you'll hear well-meaning Christians say, you know, we just need to quit preaching so much doctrine and teaching so much doctrine in our Sunday school class. We just need to love everybody. Then they'll get saved. Listen. Sound doctrine is not the enemy of evangelism. It is the essence of evangelism. Without knowing what the gospel is, we have no message to tell. Always evangelism requires sound doctrine. But fourthly, evangelism also strengthens and grows the church. Look at verse 5. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. It is a good thing for your individual salvation and sanctification, I should say, as a believer. But it's also a good thing for the corporate sanctification of this church for you to share your faith regularly. Let me say it again because I butchered it the first time. It is a good thing for you as an individual Christian. It is helpful for your personal sanctification to share your faith regularly. And it's also good for the corporate sanctification of First Baptist Church of Keller for you to share your faith regularly, even if no one ever believes your message. 
There were some people in the Bible who preached faithfully for decades and no one ever believed their message. Jeremiah comes to mind. We teach here that it's not up to us to save anyone, is it? Our job is to be faithful. Paul believed that. He told the, the church in Corinth that I planted Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. It's not up to us to, to cause the fruit to be born. It's up to us to obediently share our faith. But here's what the Bible seems to indicate. If you will habitually, as a matter of course in your life, share your faith regularly, it is highly unlikely that no one is ever going to believe. That's highly unlikely because the scripture tells us that God has his elect, his chosen ones in every tribe and tongue and people group. We don't know who those people are, but he does. And so we preach to everybody. And those he chooses to save will be saved for his glory. There will be a church for Christ to come back for is what I'm saying. And the only method I find in the scripture of reproduction of Christians is of believers evangelizing non-believers. That's the only method we find in the Bible. And the Apostle Paul seems to have known this. Though Paul tells us a lot about the second coming of the Lord Jesus in some of his epistles, he knew that Christ could come back after Paul had died. And that's why he invested so much time and energy in young men like Timothy. Paul got to the end of his life and says, look, I fought a good fight, I've kept the faith. And he encourages those who he had trained to go on and do the same. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, for example, this is what Paul wrote to Timothy. He says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That is how the gospel has been perpetuated for 2,000 years. That's how it will continue to be perpetuated long after everyone in this room is dead and gone. Is if we will invest in the generation coming behind ours. Just as the generation that preceded us invested in us. And faithful men pass it to faithful men who pass it to faithful men so that there will be a church for Jesus to return for one day. And the way you strengthen to grow the church is through evangelism. I know there are a lot of written materials out there, things online about church growth and all the things you can do to whip up enthusiasm and draw a big crowd. But friends, you can draw a big crowd for a wrestling match. True church growth must have biblically based evangelism as its core. The Lord will grow his church. We don't have to grow it for him. And then we know that uh, biblically based evangelism is always directed by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse six. They, that's Paul and Silas, passed through Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Now, if you were surprised that Paul had Timothy circumcised, I expect you're surprised that the Holy Spirit prevented Paul from sharing the gospel. Did you catch that? It wasn't some dictator that threatened to put Paul in prison. It, it wasn't some fear that he had that prevented him from sharing the gospel. The Holy Spirit said, Paul, don't share the gospel in this region of, of Asia. It seems strange that the Holy Spirit would prevent anywhere, anyone from sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus. But remember, friends, we are servants of God. We're not sovereign. 
And what I mean by that is this is God's eternal plan of redemption, not ours. At any moment, God may lead us to change our plans and our strategies for His glory, and we must be willing and submissive to do so. But in the meantime, until He says, don't go there, we ought to start moving. Going in that direction until He stops us. That is His eternal plan of redemption, to be led by the Holy Spirit. But to be led of the Holy Spirit... We must be in constant communication with Him. That is, we have to have uh, the ability to hear when He leads us. And so there are certain things that are hindrances and things that cause us not to be able to hear clearly from the Lord. And some may surprise you. You know that Peter said in one of his epistles that when husbands and wives are not living together in peace, their prayers can be hindered. The Old Testament says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear my prayer. So unconfessed sin of any kind can hinder our communication from the Lord. We can't hear clearly what he would have us to do. But when we are walking with the Lord and we are having regular times of confession of sin and we are prayerfully seeking his will and we're constantly in his word. By the way, the word is where the Lord's will is most often revealed. Then he will communicate His will to us. And when we know His will, then we must submit to it. The Apostle Paul could have said, I'm going to Asia anyway, and he would have been the worst for it. But when the Holy Spirit said, no, don't go to Asia, go to Macedonia, he did exactly what he was told. And, and that really speaks of humility and contentment. Someone told me a long time ago, and I've found it to be true many times, that the safest and best place in the world for any Christian to be is in the center of the Lord's will. That's the best place you could be, no matter where it is geographically. And finally, evangelism extends to the ends of the earth. Remember I said it begins at home. We ought not to say, Lord, send me to Africa until we have shared the gospel with those in our own, under our own roof. But eventually it does. You know, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, He said, go and make disciples of all the nations. He told them in Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and here we have that playing out. Up until this point, the gospel, which started in Jerusalem and, and eventually came to Antioch as its headquarters, was very much isolated to the Mediterranean area, that area we would call the Middle East or parts of Asia, but had not yet made it to the shores of Europe. And that is until Paul took the gospel. Look at verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Maybe those of you who grew up in Southern Baptist churches are remembering now an old hymn we used to sing. Do you remember? We have heard the Macedonian call today. Send the light, send the light. That's what the, the man in the vision was calling. He says, Paul, we're in darkness. We need the light of the gospel. And Paul, of course, responded. This is the Macedonian call. There are people today living in darkness all over the world who need to hear it. Come over to Macedonia and help us. The irony is that just a few weeks ago, our church sent out a mission team to Macedonia because many of those people are still living in darkness. The task is not yet complete. The Great Commission has not yet been fulfilled. We have to be willing to go to the ends of the earth, and when the opportunity presents itself, we must be ready to act. 
Paul did not hesitate. Look at verse 10. When he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul was wanting to know the Lord's will, and when it became clear, he was ready to act. And this is the first time, so far as we know, that the gospel made it to the shores of Europe, but it quickly spread across that continent. And as I look around this room, it's very obvious that uh, the vast majority of us in this room trace our ancestry to Europe. And it's likely that many of our ancestors came to saving faith before they came across the Atlantic Ocean. And so in a real sense, many in this room can thank the Lord for their conversion to Paul's obedience to this Macedonian call. And so this is the Lord's plan. So all of us want to be ready. I've never sensed that any person in this church was resistant and I don't care about those lost souls. We want to be used by the Lord, don't we? We know we ought to be more evangelistic. I'm not browbeating you with the Bible today. You know that. I want to be more evangelistic than I am. And so the question is, how can we be? How can we be ready when the opportunity presents itself as it did for Paul here? Well, Paul was a great teacher in addition to being a great apostle. And when he was training young men, including Timothy, to share their faith, he often used military imagery. In fact, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he, he talked about Timothy being a good soldier in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we take that to its conclusion, we can learn some things about evangelism. A, a good soldier of Christ Jesus is well-trained, isn't he? Any good soldier is well-trained. He's got to have discipline. He's got to, to, to be healthy. He's got to be ready to move at a moment's notice. And he has to follow orders. And so Paul trained Timothy and other young men to, to share their faith. And, and so it's right that your church offers you training. A little over a year ago now, I think, uh, we offered a training called Sharing Jesus Without Fear. Brother Jimmy Jackson and Brother Lawrence Duhon led that. We had over 200 people, as I recall, go through that training. And I still hear of many of them that share their faith regularly as a result of that training. But not nearly everyone has gone through that. And so on September the 15th, at 4 p.m. in this church, we're going to have that training again. Mark it on your calendar. Share Jesus without fear, 4 o'clock, September 15. A good soldier needs training. But a good soldier also has to be focused. The Apostle Paul, like all men or women who do anything with greatness, was singularly focused. Paul was not distracted by the things of this life. And so when he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, he wants him to have that same Lifestyle, And so he says, Timothy, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. A soldier has to be singularly focused. And, and so must we if we're truly to make progress in evangelism. That's why I was so keen for the last few years of, of pushing our church to get out of financial debt. Not so that we can go build another big building and, and get in debt again. We may build a building one day, who knows? But that's not the purpose for getting out of debt. The reason I was so keen to get us out of debt is so that we could be singularly focused so that if the Lord calls us to plant a church in Portland or Anchorage, Alaska or Nairobi, that we would have the means and the ability to do it. And if that's true of a church writ large, it's also true of individuals. 
Do you know that if this morning, if the Lord were to call you to be an International Mission Board missionary with the Southern Baptist Convention, they would send you to Richmond, Virginia, where they would vet you. And one of the first questions they're going to ask is, are you entangled in this life? What they mean by that is, are you in debt? And if you had unsecured debt that you cannot liquidate almost immediately, you are disqualified from becoming a missionary. And I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I'm not telling you who should be a missionary overseas. I'm saying all of us ought to disentangle ourselves from the cares of this life so that if the Lord were to call us, we could go. That's true of a church. That's true of, of every believer. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, but so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So every good soldier is well trained. He is singularly focused, but he also has a strategy. I don't know of, of any army in military history that succeeded without a strategy. It is not wrong for the church to have an evangelistic strategy. Now we also must remember the Lord can change our strategy anytime he chooses, but we need to have a strategy. And the strategy that we're going to be working under in this next year is called Who's Your One? Did you all receive one of these in your bulletin this morning? If you do, why don't you take it out right now? I want you to look at it with me. And it's just a little perforated card. And it's about as simple as it can possibly be. And that's the point. It says, Who's Your One? The point is we want every member of First Baptist Church of Keller to prayerfully consider one person not a community, not a nation, one person in your sphere of influence, be it a, a sibling, a spouse, a child, a co-worker, classmate, tem teammate, someone that as far as you know is not a Christian. Would you just write their name, just write their first name if you'd like, if you know who that is. We're not going to ask you today to turn these in. We just want you to put it in your Bible and start praying. And we are providing for you today a 30-day prayer guide. And you see the 30 days there, there's a scripture verse for every day. And every day we want you to pray for the salvation of that person. Now here's the thing. You know enough about prayer to know this, that, that when you ask God to do something, guess who he often calls to be the answer to that prayer? <laughs> you. And so be ready. He may ask you to step out of your comfort zone and share the gospel with this person. He may ask you to, to buy a plane ticket and, and go somewhere if it's someone is on another part of the world. You may have to change your plans at the drop of a hat, but we have to be willing to do that if we're going to reach this nation with the gospel of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as you exit today across the way, you'll find a 30-day prayer guide. I hope all of you take one home and, and start using that immediately as we move towards our evangelistic training on September 15th. And then on October the 22nd, we're going to have an old-fashioned revival meeting here at First Baptist Keller. Brother John Moore is going to be our speaker Sunday morning through Wednesday evening. And you start praying now because I believe the Lord is going to add to His church through salvations as we pray for individuals in our community. Let's go to the Lord and ask His help. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for Your Word. And Father, the story of Timothy is very familiar to most believers. We see his name listed every time we see an index of New Testament books of the Bible. We sometimes forget that he was led to faith by his mother and grandmother. And so Father, as we think about evangelism, help us not to immediately think of 
some continent overseas, but help us to remember those in our own household who don't yet know you. Father, I pray for every child represented here today who does not yet know you. I pray that every one of them would come to saving faith. Help us to have the gospel on our lips and in our heart and in our decisions before them every day of our life. And Father, we pray for our community. Even though there are churches seemingly on every corner here, there are thousands and tens of thousands here in Keller and the surrounding areas who don't know you as Savior. Help us not to grow cold or dull to that truth. Put individuals on our hearts, Father, that we could pray for and witness to. Father, and I pray for these uh, trainings that are coming up. Pray that uh, many would take advantage of that and be equipped. Help us all to be ready to give an answer of the hope that is within us. And then, Father, I pray for revival. I pray for awakening in this church, in my own heart, in our community, our state, our nation, and the world. Lord, I pray that there'd be a movement of righteousness that is so obvious that no one could miss it. Not for our sake, but for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.